Welcome back to the Revelation On Demand podcast, a podcast dedicated to bringing you revelation from the Bible. I'm your host, Justin D. Myers. And it's been a minute if you're listening to this in live time. And to those who are, I'm sorry I've missed a few posts here and there. It's been about a month since our last episode. And I would like to explain a little bit of why that has been. Uh, This new company that took over and is uh, now... Uh, basically my employer, they've uh, added a lot of workload to what I normally do every day. So just finding the balance with trying to get as much as that done every day and trying to uh, still not, you know, still have a home life and spend time with the kids and all that sort of stuff. It, uh, it's been really hard to get that down. And I talked a little bit about that in the last episode. It looks like we might be leveling out now. I, there was a lot I needed to get done before our fifth child was born, which, again, that happened too. So just last week, my child, my fifth child was born, Micah Thomas, as we've decided. And uh, that's, that's just been, it was really, really quick. Everything's gone according to plan, which is unusual for us. It feels like every time we make a plan, nothing goes accordingly, so... It's just been a blessing that uh, we everything's gone smoothly with this child. Now, I've been counting how many episodes I've missed, so we've missed three so far. Now, I've told you guys before, I plan to do this for seven years and then see where, where I'm going to go. Um, so I give you three plus seven years, you know, three, three episodes past seven years. I will make sure that we do all that. I will not short on episodes just because my life got so busy. Now, I plan to continue going on with this podcast for seven years and give you seven years worth of episodes that I've agreed to. So then we'll see going after that. Uh, then we'll see what what we, uh, what we God wants us to do, I should say. And then hopefully this is the last last kid in our family. God, God willing, this was the last one and we'll just grow from here with the kid children we have and we're very grateful for all that and I, we feel like our family's complete now so uh, getting back to the whole reason you're listening to this podcast and less less about me and more about where we are for those of you who are listening along it's been a minute since we last spoke and we were talking about Isaiah 6 last time and Isaiah 6 was a chapter about his commission, and that's where God kind of gave him his job to do and, and what he was supposed to go out into the world and, and do. And in that commission, we got to see a vision that he had where he's seen the heavenly throne room connected to the earthly temple and then God you know, present in that throne room up into the heavens and his seraphim around him. And we talked a little bit about what those were last time. And in the scene, we see that one of the angels, one of the seraphim, comes out and purifies Isaiah and gives him his mission or his commission to go out through Israel and declare those prophecies that we've been going over so far. So today's chapter is Isaiah chapter 7, and this takes place in about 735 BC. So this is, you know, 700 years before Christ was born. 
and uh, we're just going to jump right into the text here. We've got a few sections. It's not terribly long. It looks like it's about 25 verses. So it should be relatively quick to get through. And without any further ado, let's get into Scripture. Isaiah chapter 7. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, King Rezin of Aram, and Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem. But they could not overpower it. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken, as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. So we're going to stop right there. Aram is Syria. And this was the the group of Ephraim was one of the uh, tribes of Judah, as we've we've discussed before <clears throat> in different sections. And we see that Aram and one of these tribes of Judah is going to or are joining sides against Jerusalem themselves. So they're going to rebel against Assyria, which is a new empire that's up and coming that will be taking over as we get further into this and they are trying to bring judah into this conflict so we see we have king ahaz is the king of jerusalem we have the son of or he's the king of judah excuse me and then rezin is the king of ram which was syria not Assyria, Syria. And then Pekah is the son of Remaliah, who is the king of Israel. And that would be the northern part of, of what we know as modern Israel. Judah would have been the southern part. So this is Israel and this, this Syrian empire are trying to bring Judah into this conflict to rebel against Assyria. And it's mentioning the house of David is could be to draw a distinction that Ahaz has little faith in God. So we hear, you know, the house of David's mentioned, and then Ahaz, as we go throughout this chapter, is not acting as David should, or David would have acted. Uh, Ahaz and his people are very worried that this alliance between Aram and Ephraim, which Ephraim is the stand-in for Israel, and he's worried that this alliance is going to be the downfall of Judah. Ephraim was one of the tribes with Manasseh. So it was Ephraim and Manasseh that took the place of one of the original tribes, I believe it was the tribe of Dan that fell. So we see here that one of the tribes is coming up and is joining forces with Assyria. Excuse me, Syria, not Assyria. Assyria is the other big bad. Continuing on in verse three. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, go out, you and your son, Shergeshub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the launderer's field, and say to him, Be careful, keep calm, and do, don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood, because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and the son of Remaliah. Aram, Ephraim, and Remaliah's son have plotted your ruin, saying, Let us invade Judah. Let us tear it apart and divide it amongst ourselves, and take the son of Tabil kings over it. Yet this is what the Sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only resin. Within sixty-five years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, 
and the head of Samaria is only Ramaliah's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you'll not stand at all. So while they're trying to draw Judah into this conflict, they're also plotting to take over all of Judah in this conflict. Now, this is what really has shaken Ahaz and his people. They're worried that this is going to, they're going to take over. Now, right away, Isaiah is sent to talk to Ahaz and say, hey, this isn't going to happen. They're not going to be able to do it. God's not going to let it happen. And we see that, you know, he gives all these reasons like, hey, this is not going to happen because it's only these two men, these kings that are plotting this. It's not that this these entire countries are seeking you out. Like, this is not God's will. This is not going to happen. Now, all of Jacob's sons had meaningful names like Shir Jubub means return of a remnant. So right off the bat, we see that. Jashub, sorry, share Jashub means return of a remnant. So when he's saying to Isaiah, take your son, share Jashub, he's saying, take the remnant with you. He's, of course, if he had a son named share Jashub, he's meaning that, but there's a dual meaning here where he's saying, you know, take the remnant with you. And it's referring to a future hope that judgment to come. And of course, we're going to see throughout this that there's stuff that the Lord had planned that's not going to take place in the way the Lord wanted it to take place in the first place because of the way Ahaz handles this whole situation. So Ahaz is the king of Judah and Isaiah is being sent to him to, you know, be like, Hey, Lord's with you. You can do this. You're going to be fine. You know, follow the Lord, trust in the Lord and all will be well. And this is the direct message that Isaiah is bringing to Ahaz. And then this is also, in double a warning that Ahaz needs to bring and turn his people back to God. Cause it says at the end there, if you do not stand firm in faith in your faith, you will not stand at all saying that if you're not with God in this, like you're not going to be taken over by these people, but something else is going to come down the line that takes you out. And then it mentions here, the son of Tabeel where they're, uh, the other nations are plotting to put the son of Tabeel in there. And that likely was a puppet ruler that they had control of. And it would bring Judah into the alliance between Israel or yeah, Israel, the Northern part of Israel and Aram or, or Syria. And this would have been their puppet ruler that would have replaced Ahaz that, you know, kind of ruled the state for them and did everything that they wanted them to do. And then Assyria, excuse me, Assyria conquered Israel in 722 BC. They resettled the region with other nations and conquered it, mixing in the population. We see that not, uh, we said that this started in 735 BC. This is when the first of this was happening. And then by the, by 722, which is, is backwards when you're before Christ. So that means roughly eight 13 years later, when Assyria would conquer all of Israel, including Judah, they would start to repopulate the area. And this is important because as we go into the next portion, we'll see how Ahaz responds to this, this vision, this prophecy from God, and how it changes what could have happened or what would have happened had Ahaz decided to follow God and be faithful. There would have been a different outcome. But instead, he decides to do what he is about to do here in this next section. 
Continuing on at verse 10. Again the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and we and will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, in the land of two kings you will dread excuse me, your dread you dread will be laid waste. The Lord will bring on you and your people and on the house of your father a time like any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. So right here, this is a little confusing to some because we have sections in the Bible just like uh, you know don't don't test the Lord, uh, like when Jesus was talking about when he's talking to Satan, you know you don't test the Lord. But in this case, the prophet Isaiah is literally saying, "Hey, ask God for a sign; He'll give you one." And Ahaz is like, "Nah, I'm, I'm not supposed to. I'm not supposed to test the Lord." You know, he's he's hiding his lack of faith behind piety, and that's kind of. Really, really insincere and in, in being faithless, basically. He's saying, like, I know you're telling me, prophet of God, that I should ask God for a sign, but I'm not going to because I'm not supposed to, you know, like, so this is him being falsely pious. Now, Ahaz should be feeling reinforced that, you know, Isaiah is coming and saying, hey, God's on your side. He's not going to let this happen. Ask him for a sign, you know. You're gonna get you're gonna get the help that you need. In in this translation, it says uh, deepest depths or highest heights. In another correct translation, would be the depths of Sheol. Ask for a sign as you know as deep as the depths of Sheol, which would mean it has great significance physically, but also even more significance spiritually, because Sheol is the spiritual area where the souls of the dead go to await judgment. And of course, at this time, there wouldn't have been that time, there wouldn't have been that place where souls could go to be with the Lord right away. Everyone would be going to this place in Sheol. And some people call it an area of Abraham's bosom where the faithful and those who were, you know, right with God and follow God, those would be in this Abraham's bosom. So right now he's talking about the sign can be as depth as the depths of Sheol and can have this, this super huge significance. And then he refuses. He's like, no, I'm good. I'm not going to test my Lord. And, um, we see that, you know, Ahaz is like, okay, so you're going to try his patience. He's, he's literally telling you, ask him for a sign. And you're so pompous. You're so full of yourself. You're not going to, because I don't know. He had his reasons. So then Isaiah says, well, if you're going to test my God's patience, I'm going to give you a sign anyways. And then we get one of the most known prophecies in all of scripture, where he talks about the virgin, the son of a virgin. And this has a recurring fulfillment and an ultimate fulfillment, which we see, we see both eventually. And 
So there's scholarly, excuse me, there's scholarly debate over the word here that is translated in this version as virgin. Now the word here is a vague term, which usually just means a young unmarried woman, which in that time and place would be kind of assumed that she was a virgin if she was young and unmarried. So it was a term that just kind of covered all young unmarried women. So it didn't necessarily mean they were physically a virgin. And then we see when it goes to Matthew and Matthew talks about this vision again, when he's talking about Jesus Christ, he uses a word that is far more precise in meaning what we think of as when we hear virgin, you know, it does, has not been with any man or has not been with a woman. So, so on and so forth has not had intercourse. And we see that he's using this, this prophecy, he's using a more accurate word for virgin to, you know, kind of go along with the fact that Mary was a virgin and that God came down and, and placed the, his son, Jesus in her womb sort of thing. And I can see why today this is something that is very hard to come to terms with because a lot of scholars will say that there, that there was a fulfillment and that this, this immediate fulfillment that Isaiah was telling Ahaz, you know, saying this is going to happen. This is going to be the, the sign that you need. This immediate fulfillment was the full fulfillment. It has nothing to do with, uh, you know, the coming Messiah. But then the real question is why would Matthew pick that up in the new Testament and point that out and say, you know, since this is all these signs correlate more with Jesus than they did at the time that Ahaz was being told about. So we see that the way Isaiah is telling it, it's kind of got this twofold meaning. It has the meaning for Ahaz, which means, you know, this time that, you know, these two nations are fighting you will come to pass this virgin, a young girl at this time will have a child. And before that child has a chance to grow up and, you know, pass into this manhood age, which would have been about 13, your kingdom will be over with. So we see that he's talking in roughly 13 years. He's talking about, you know, 14 years. If you count the gestation period and all that, or maybe even 18 years, as we mentioned earlier, if you talk about the time it would take her to, to you know grow up a little bit, find a man, be married, you know, get impregnated, have this child, and then this child almost grows up to manhood and knows right and wrong, his kingdom would come to ruin. Which, as we talked about earlier, eighteen or thirteen years. Actually, I said thirteen years the first time. It works out perfectly. Thirteen years from the time that Ahaz was, you know, first talking about how, you know, his, his people were worried about uh, Israel in Aram coming and taking over his place. 13 years later, Assyria comes in and takes over the whole lot of them. So we see that this immediate fulfillment was talking about that time when Assyria would come in and ruin and take over. Now, we also talk about the prophecy that Matthew used to describe where he uses a more accurate term for virgin. And he makes this talk more about God because of that word there, where it says he will be named Emmanuel, which is a name that stands for God with us. So this is a, this child doesn't necessarily need to be named that, but he's saying this child and this child's name means that in the future, 
God is going to be reuniting with Israel. So this is kind of a, he's setting up a, a place of hope. He's setting up a, a light on a hill, so to say, where Israel, the people who are going through these hard times when Assyria comes in and takes over and all this stuff. And we've talked a lot about the, the Assyrian uh, empire taking over Israel. When we talked about Daniel, that uh, it gives Israel this light on a hill, this light in the window that they can always look to and say, one day God will be with us again. One day we will be reunited with God. And that's something that they can look forward to. That's something that they can keep their eyes trained on. Now Ahaz is only interested in the immediate that Isaiah is talking about. This this part where, you know, this woman, before she has a chance to raise her child fully, this this uh you know, Assyria will come in and take over. And the, and the threat that Ahaz is concerned with right now, talking about Aram and and um, Israel, is only going to you know go on and pass away within a couple of years. And then it will be Assyria that is this new threat that God will use to punish Judah for this lack of faith. And then something that I want to mention about this header before we get in this last section is called Assyria, the Lord's instrument. We see time and time again that the Lord uses evil empires or corrupt empires to be his long arm of judgment with people that have disobeyed him. And often after he is done using these people as that instrument, he uh, lets them fall into their own punishment, as it were. So continuing on in verse 18, in that day, the Lord will whistle for flies from the Nile Delta in Egypt for the bees from the land of Assyria, and they will all come and settle in the steep ravines and the crevices in the rocks on all the thorn bushes and at all the water holes. In that day, the Lord will use a razor hired from beyond the Euphrates river, the king of Assyria to shave your head in private parts and cut off your beard also. In that day, a person will keep alive a young cow and two goats, and because of the abundance of milk they give, there will be curds to eat. All who remain in the land will eat curds and honey. In that day, in every place where there were thousand vines worth of thousands silver shekels, there will be only briars and thorns. Hunters will go with bow and arrow, for the land will be covered with briars and thorns. As for all the hills once cultivated by the hoe, you will no longer go there for fear of briars and thorns. They will become places where cattle are turned loose and where sheep run. So this section can be misunderstood sometimes because you think, oh, curds and honey, that's a good thing, right? Um, no, it's talking about how people will keep, uh, what is it? They will keep a young cow and two goats. That's not very much livestock, even for a small family. But the point is, is that there is so much milk produced from these three animals that everyone can have curds and that everyone can have honey. Is saying that the population of Israel and Judah will be decimated. There will be so few people left that it will take very few animals to let everyone have curds and honey. And then it's talking about the flies and the bees. And these are God's, or the imagery that, 
Isaiah is using to portray the nations around Israel coming in and swarming over the land. And that is his tool of divine judgment. And that will so decimate the population that we get this, you know, curds and honey from a few animals. And then for the, the forcibly shaving where he's hired a razor, of course, the razor is Assyria, and forcibly shaving a man was humiliating then, and arguably still is. And then the talking about private parts, um, in some translations, it talks about shaving his feet as being more of a euphemism. Um, I don't see why that's necessary. But anyways, uh, shaving the part, the private parts is basically saying, you know, Israel will be emasculated. They will be taken over. They will not you know, rule themselves, basically. And of course we see that when Assyria comes in and then repopulates the land with other people they have conquered. And then the abundance where this whole valley that Israel and, and Judah sat in where there was agriculture and vines and great fields and many people to work the fields and many much abundance that was being created all this these good fruits that are coming from the area will be wiped out because of the lack of population farming in this time period would have been extremely labor intensive so you need a lot of people to make a lot of food he is saying again that the population is going to be so wiped out that these vineyards and these farms cannot sustain themselves so all this will go back to the wild and then only hunters will pass through and hunt wild game and maybe some ranchers will let their animals out to graze the lands and you know that way because it takes fewer men to keep a herd of animals than it does to uh, work the land especially back then they didn't have tractors they didn't have these labor saving equipment that we have today where one man can cultivate and keep many acres of lands back then it would have took hundreds of people to cultivate and keep uh, farmland actually usable. So society would be shook to the very core, leaving a less productive means, which we were talking about where ranching is far, far less labor intensive. It's still a hard job. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying it takes fewer men to keep animals than it does to keep crop in the land when we don't have the modern machinations that we do today. What's the takeaway for today? What can we learn from Ahaz? I think we can learn from Ahaz that we need to have faith in the Lord and not get so caught up in thinking of our own piety and thinking that we are right with God. We should always be seeking to humbly say, God, what, what do you have for us next? What do you, what do you want us to do next? You know, and, and then if God tells us to do something, we should listen. Uh, we don't have prophets the way they did. Since now we personally can go to God and say, Hey, this is what I'm dealing with. This is what I'm going through. Thank you for, you know, getting me through what you have and uh, what do you want me to do next? And we can humbly come to before God and get an answer directly. We don't have to go through a prophet or for a, a priest anymore. So to keep that in mind, you know, we have this immediate access to God if we give our lives to Jesus Christ. And we need to use that. We need to remember to say, Hey, I need a little bit of guidance here, God. Can you show me something, scripture, something in my life, something that is a sign that tells me I'm going the right way. And often, personally, I use it more as get something in my way if I'm heading the wrong way. You know, I'm, I'm constantly praying, 
you know, Lord, if this is not what you will, please put something in my way that tells me, you know, close the door, show me that this is not the correct way. And he's done that many times before where I plan on doing something and then something gets in the way that keeps me from going that way. You know, the donkey keeps turning and not going the way I want to go. And, uh, I use that, that sort of thing. And I pray that you ask God to do the same thing for you, you know, and ask that if this is not the path you want me to go down, close the door, show me a different path. So thank you for listening to the Revelation On Demand podcast. Please like, share, and subscribe wherever you catch your podcast from. Please, if you like what we're doing, share this with a friend, family member, or someone from your church. This is a completely private venture and receive no funding from any sources. Any questions? Nah. If you have any comments, questions, or concerns, please feel free to contact me at revelationondemand at gmail.com. God bless, and see you next time.